the Ain't No Fang podcast. From Arizona Sports, Ain't No Fang. Ah, it's funny what a difference a week makes, because last week on the podcast, things were much, much different for the Diamondbacks. Welcome back to the Ain't No Fang podcast. Steve Zinsmeister with Alex Weiner. Covers the team for ArizonaSports.com. Spent some time out at Chase Field in the last couple days, huh, Alex? Pretty eventful. Pretty fun games. <laughs> so, a week ago when you and I talked, a lot of it was about, oh my gosh, Christian Walker's the only person who looks comfortable at the plate. Uh, how are they going to string together runs? They're facing the Dodgers eight times in their first 10 games. And they came out two and two in that first series. And, and we kind of looked at it like, OK, this is this is all right. This is fine. Consi- all things considered, they got severely outscored in that series. Mm-hmm. A week later, after a home stretch, four games against the Dodgers, they take three out of four and the offense looks completely different. Yeah, I think at the end of the podcast last week, we were like, okay, what would be a successful week for them? Two games against the Padres, four games against the Dodgers. Like, okay, maybe a competitive three and three, two and four, but like a bunch, they're in a bunch of games. How about this? I mean, they found every hole imaginable, I feel like, over the last couple of games, especially that Sunday 11 to six win over the Dodgers. I mean, just putting string hits together, and it's not only just that they were finding holes, but that's obviously a huge part of that. Their batting average on balls in play was quite high throughout the weekend. It's been pretty high for them so far, but they were stringing together really good at bats and getting the pitches that they want to hit and putting it where they wanted it to go, and that's been a huge deal because in that first series, as you mentioned, the offense wasn't there. Other than You mentioned Christian Walker had a few really good at bats. The home run off of Kershaw was the most memorable, but then the rest of the offense, it was a lot of chasing. It was a lot of uh, it, it just wasn't a lot of hard contact. They weren't putting the ball in play quite as much. But this past week has been much improved in that department. I mean, the walk rate's still low, but they've been hitting the ball and been putting it in play because the strikeout rate has also been very low this past week. And that's going to be huge for them to get the ball in play because now it's it's a new world where there are more holes out there. And some of these hits that wouldn't have been hits last year are now hits. And that's leading to the up in batting average and balls in play for them. Yeah, I hate to rely on that too much moving forward like you don't want to be sure you don't want to be lucky but you do typically it kind of reverts to the meme you mean right. as far as like a 300 batting average on balls in play maybe that goes up this year just because there are more holes and the offense has gotten off to a better start than the pitching so far compared to years past but well and they're man. not as much of a fly ball hitting team yeah because we talked about the lack of power i mean it kind of it's a double-edged sword on the one hand you're not going to hit the ball over the wall all that often but you're also not going to pop the ball up as much because guys like Corbin Carroll, Geraldo Perdomo, Alec Thomas, they're not hitting the ball deep, deep, deep a lot the way that a Christian Walker might or Evan Longoria, who's been pretty great off the bench as well. And we'll get to him in a moment uh, to kind of equate the last time we talked and this time the first series against the Dodgers, one run, two runs. Uh, sorry, I'm not looking at the right game. One run again. Two runs, two runs, one run, and two runs. So a total of what is that? Seven runs in the first series. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And then so. you look at then you look at the San Diego series. Four and eight, pretty staggering difference. And then Dodgers two, six, twelve, and eleven. Mm-hmm. I mean, the offense just completely figured out a way to do this. Now, like you were discussing, the way that the Diamondbacks score 
is going to have to be creative. And they've been doing a lot of it on the base pads. There are going to be guys that you see getting stolen bases. Nick Ahmed has three stolen bases already. <laughs> didn't I didn't see that coming, ex- did you? I did not expect that. Jose uh, Herrera taking off. Or yeah. Or Moreno taking off. Anybody. Anybody. Corbin Carroll has five. I'm not shocked by that. I, I saw, I think the Diamondbacks even tweeted out he's on like a 90 stolen base pace or something like that. Those are always fun After, at the beginning uh, of the year, I right? Think on Saturday he was on a 90 stolen base <laughs> pace. Yeah. <laughs> it's always fun at the beginning of the season to be like, this guy's on pace for a million stolen bases. Um, but this is the way that they're going to choose to win games because they're not going to hit the ball over the wall. I'm looking at the home run column. Walker, Marte both have homers. Corbin Carroll has two home runs. He's leading the team tied with Evan Longoria. Perdomo got one. Kyle Lewis had that uh, one that we talked about last week. Other than that, there's not a ton of power in this lineup. But I will say, and, and as much as I talk about sort of them finding the holes and hitting sharp ground balls to the hole and all that kind of stuff, they're hitting doubles. They're, they 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 are hitting doubles and and that's been a huge. I think they had a 14 doubles in the four game series against the Dodgers that led the league uh, over that four game stretch. And so they are hitting the ball, at least in that Dodgers series, they were hitting the ball hard, even if it wasn't going over the wall. I mean that Saturday game where they had 17 hits in that 12 to 8 win. I mean if you just look at the baseball savant page for that game, hundred hundred hundred. They're just hitting the exit the ball velocities. Hard. Yeah, uh, exactly. And so. It's it's not just like, okay, kind of piece it together with like toothpicks and getting on base. And that's going to be a huge, huge part of their offense. But if they can continuously, you know, get in the right counts, hit the right pitches, find gaps, they're they're going to turn doubles into triples. They're going to turn singles into doubles, as we saw from Jake McCarthy in the Sunday game when the Dodgers sort of were lackadaisical getting to the baseball. And so it's it's not a team that can't hit the ball hard. So that's going to be the recipe going forward is can you sort of mix the two perfectly like they did in this series, but consistently, even if the home runs aren't coming. To your point, Ketel Marte's already got five of them. Moreno's got three, despite not hitting very well. Josh Rojas has three. Uh, Perdomo has three. He's been very good. And uh, Paven Smith has two of them, and he's only played in one game. <laughs> And we're going to talk a little bit more about roster uh, lineup construction, rather, uh, a little bit later. But, you know, all these guys deserve some recognition on some level. Cattell Marte's having uh, a year where he's trying to be a little bit more resurgent. Last week when we talked, Christian Walker was really the only guy who was hitting. Now I I could argue he's probably the least comfortable at the plate on the entire team. I think the same could be said of Kyle Lewis, who had a bit of a breakout early. He started opening day in L.A. He was leading off. He hits a uh, not a walk-off, but a go-ahead home run later in that series. Now those two guys are probably the least comfortable in this lineup and the most comfortable, a bit of a surprise, Geraldo Perdomo off of the bench. I know he's played in seven games. He's got 22 plate appearances, which is a little bit less than some of the starters. But I've liked what I've seen from that guy. He's got a 571 on base right now. Yeah, and if I could find this too quickly. Yeah, so Jack Summers tweeted this out that he is leading the National League in war through 10 games on wow. baseball reference with uh, 0.9. All positions? Uh, I believe that's all positions. Wow. Yeah, exactly. James Outman is second if, if for a good indication. Yeah, it doesn't make me feel great. but <laughs> Against the Diamondbacks. But uh, yeah, no, no kidding. Um, I mean, Geraldo Perdomo is, I mean, it's, it's come from both sides of the plate. They've given him starts on both sides of the plate. Yeah, in the Sunday game against a right-handed starting pitcher, they put him at second base to keep his bat in the lineup and get Cattell Marte off the field. So it's going to be... I mean, they they have options, which is always huge this year. I mean, Perdomo, as you mentioned, he's going to start a lot of games for them, especially early on in the season. But you could also look at him as a depth piece if you, you know, in your head, it's like, okay, Nick Ahmed's the starting shortstop. It's going to be back and forth depending on who's pitching. But to have a guy like that you can plug into different positions and has produced so far... 
that's huge. And it's not just been finding holes. He, that home run was a gigantic hit. And Tori talked about, you know, not just hitting the ball hard, but like in the right situations, in the big situations. The Diamondbacks gave up four runs in the first inning on Saturday, and it looked like it could be one of those games that gets away from them. It certainly would have in the past couple of seasons, but this time it wasn't because they were able to get a guy on, and Geraldo Perdomo, you know, one of the bigger hits of his young Diamondbacks career, and I know it was only it was early in a ball game, but they, it led to a comeback victory in that ball game. And so to have him sort of taking that step up offensively early, and again, I know it's super early. He's not going to lead the league in war this year. I would. I wouldn't imagine. I'm on the. Geraldo That'd be pretty Perdomo. cool if he did. <laughs> I'm on the Perdomo bandwagon. Let's let's not let's not get that twisted. But it's, you know, he's not going to lead the league in war this year. But to have him come up big in spots like that, and he did it consistently over the weekend, is a huge sign for a young player who's trying to find his stride offensively. I want to give credit where credit is due to Josh Rojas as well, mm-hmm. who's been asked to be the leadoff hitter in most scenarios against right-handed pitching, um, which is a tough a tough task, when, especially when you know that. So many fans are clamoring for Corbin Carroll or even Jake McCarthy or Alec Thomas at some point to hit leadoff uh, just based on their speed alone. But Josh Rojas, to his credit, is also a guy who's capable of swiping 20 bags. He's mm-hmm. uh, more of an on-base guy than some of those other dudes are that I just mentioned. Josh Rojas is hitting 417. He's on base 423. He's by far and away the Diamondbacks' best hitter in their starting lineup right now with a 154 OPS+. Plus. And so right now, he's their, been their best guy. And I think that it's coming at a really pivotal time. Tori Lovello said something late last week, uh, I think with Burns and Gambo, talking about Corbin Carroll will work up to the leadoff spot. That's their objective, is that eventually he will graduate to that position in the lineup. And never let let it go kind of a thing. Yeah, Yeah, and I I, listen, I have my questions about Tori's lineup constructions. And it's, it's existed for years. It's not something that he just started doing. I mean, Kyle Lewis leading off on opening day, I think we talked about that. A lot of people looked at that and went, really? Like... That guy? I mean, we just added that guy in the offseason. Is he Paven really Smith that? getting recalled and hitting third? Paven Smith makes the team and he hits third in his first game back. And I, I tweeted, I think that Tory's overthinking this. And that's not necessarily like me saying, oh, that'll never work. Obviously, they went out and they had one of their best offensive games, if not the best offensive game that they've had. And Paven was great. Um, but at the same time, I, I've always been of this philosophy it's really easy to make a lineup. Put your best players at the top of the lineup. That's how I feel. That's just how I feel, and I realize that it goes completely in the face of everything that happened in this game with Paven Smith and others, but Josh Rojas, to his credit, is working the top of that lineup right now. Yeah, you, you typically want to get your best players the most at-bats you can possibly give them, which is why like you know, teams have reverted from hitting their best hitters third or fourth to up to second, try to get them an extra at-bat if that's possible. And Rojas, I mean... He's, he's earned it. He, he's earned the spot, the opportunity to stay there as long as he keeps doing this. Because, I mean, he started off 0 for 7. I think last week when we talked about it, it's like, oh, is one of the guys that we lumped into the group that hadn't gotten going yet. It's like, oh, he doesn't have a hit. Alec Thomas doesn't have a hit. Jake McCarthy has one hit. It's like, oh, but he's 10 for his last 17 um, in, in this past week with uh, 13 bases and two stolen bases and just really, really dynamic on the base paths, too. I mean, that steal of home the other day, it was it was a perfectly executed play on the base paths by both him and Cattell Marte. And Cattell Marte standing... This was a Tuesday against the Padres in that comeback victory. But he's just a guy who can do that. He can do whatever you ask him to do when he's on the base paths. And getting there, he's good at that, too, because 
he does have a good eye. He chases the right pitches, and typically he gets on base via walks. Nobody's getting on base via walks so far. They they have the lowest walk rate in the league so far, which you know is concerning for I, I guess a little concerning just given like they're going to have to eventually get to that point. But for now, they don't need it because guys like Josh Rojas are hitting the ball really really hard and they're finding holes. Yeah, I do want to say too. I mean, I, I talked about put your best players at the top. We can all acknowledge Corbin Carroll is one of the best players on this team sure. already. Uh, whether you want to just talk about athleticism or ability or potential, all that, all of that applies here. The one thing I've always hated about baseball is that you draft a guy and you know how great he is and you don't play him for three or four years. He doesn't even make it to the major leagues for a handful of years. And I, I get that. I get the process. And uh, I just don't love it about the sport. But then he comes up. Corbin Carroll's been hitting, I guess, mostly fifth, kind of in the middle of that lineup, right behind fifth, Christian yeah. Walker a handful of times against righties in particular. Um, he's actually been hitting lefties pretty well, too, to start the season, which is good. Um, but to, to Tory's credit, Corbin Carroll, despite not hitting leadoff, does still lead the team in plate appearances. So he's getting used. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's played every single game. He's I played mean, 10 games, yeah. Yeah. Which the only other person who can say that is Christian Walker, who was just an absolute workhorse last year. I think he played 160 games last year. Um, so, you know, while we talk about Corbin Carroll, we'd like to see him at the top of the lineup. Uh, I think you're right. I think he probably has to surpass Josh Rojas at some point. He's going to have to earn it, which is a very Tory Lovello <laughs> narrative that you have to right. earn it. You don't just get given things in this game anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I don't know if that's wrong. I mean, if if, if no. Rojas is, is producing, then he's producing. And, and if Corbin Carroll's producing from the five hole, then that's fine, too. Maybe you get to a point where against right-handed pitching, you have them go one, two. And then maybe you could tell Marte three and, you know, you drop Lourdes Gurriel over in the lineup against right-handed pitching and move him back up against lefties or something like that. Again, optionality is good and they have it. And Corbin Carroll's going to give them plenty of it. You do want to get him the most at-bats um, just because he is the ultimate version of what this team wants as far as a baseball player a guy who can get on base and and be on third pretty much after two pitches like if he's on first he's on third <laughs> a couple of uh, uh in the, uh, the first series i believe and then stole a couple of more you mentioned he already has five i mean when you have at least when you have one stolen base every two games i mean that's it's pretty it's pretty pretty good. crazy it's pretty good um but yeah i mean it's I, I do think that that'll just eventually happen naturally, just given how many opportunities he's had early on and how many opportunities he'll continue to have. He's been a plus defender out on the outfield so far. Um, the arm hasn't quite been there yet, but he's, he's tracked down every ball he's pretty much needed to, and he's played very good uh, left, center, wherever they've needed him to go. And yeah, they, they're going to need him to be on base as much as possible to kind of squeeze out as much runs as they can out of this team. So I, I agree. I think that this... You know, it's heading towards that direction. But even if it's one, two, I mean, it, it, he has a lot. He's a good problem to have as far as like last year. I felt like, oh, my gosh, who am I going to start against left handed pitching? All right. Luplo first, maybe sometimes. And that kind of a deal. That's what the Kyle Lewis thing felt like. It, but this year, it feels a little bit different now with some of these options. So um, I don't know. You, you mentioned the roster construction. I mean, it's it's going to be something to look at. I mean, it, it was a little surprising to see to see Paven Smith third in his first game back. But it worked. It worked. So what can you say? Maybe it won't work next time, and then we can ask we can ask him about it again. You mentioned the who do you play against lefties, and Evan Longoria was signed for that reason, mm-hmm. to come in and be a guy who can mash left-handed pitching. So far, he's doing that and more. Uh, he's hitting four forty four, uh, four hits in nine at-bats, 10 plate appearances against lefties. He's also hitting righties pretty well, too, two for five. 
Um, he's clearly getting the nod more against left-handed pitching. You've also faced a team like the Dodgers who has good left-handed starters. They have Clayton Kershaw. They have Urias. You've faced enough lefties that he's going to get a fair amount of shakes uh, at third base or DH. Whatever it ends up being, he's going to play. And so far, he's filling that role really, really well. Yeah. I mean, he has not started a game against a right-handed pitcher yet. So, And it's kind of worked out with the schedule. He, I think he starts, started four of the ten games to start the season. Uh, he's going to start again. If, if, if you're if you're listening to this on Monday, uh, he's going to start again again on Monday against the Brewers because they take on Wade Miley. And so against lefties, he's pretty much in pen. He's going to start, and he's been really really good in that role. It's he's, he's a guy that Tori Lavella talked about this um, after he went three for three against the Dodgers in that win on Friday. That he doesn't want to overwork him. He, he needs to be a guy who's healthy at the end of the season. So you're not going to see Longoria every day, and it's a bit of an adjustment for him to kind of transition into that version of a role but as long as he's producing on the field in that role that's going to be huge for them because i mean he's a guy who maybe not is like you know you expect to like absolutely kill left-handed pitching throughout the entire season but if he's an above average bat or a better than above average or like a well above average bat in the line in the middle of the lineup against you know lefties whom they have not hit particularly well last year it's 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 a huge boost and He's certainly got enough in the tank. We, we've seen the bat speed. We've seen him hit two home runs already. So it, it's, it's you know, it, it was like sort of a late in the offseason acquisition, one that had been rumored earlier. But so far, it's paid dividends in a huge way, both on and off the field. Yeah, and if Rojas continues to play the way that he has, then there's no need to overplay Longoria. I mean, there's no not, yeah. there's no reason to reach, so to speak, to, okay, we got to play Longoria because Rojas is bad as cold. That just hasn't been the case so far. Um, one of the biggest storylines that came out of the weekend was, unfortunately, a promotion due to injury. Yeah. Uh, Dre Jameson was stashed in the bullpen to start the season. He's been very good. Uh, he's probably been their Excellent. best reliever to start the season, I would say. Um, one of a few. I even yeah. had an unfortunate conversation uh, with my co-host over the weekend uh, who said, maybe Dre Jameson should just be the closer. I hate that argument. I hate the whole, well, he's doing well in the bullpen, so let's just keep him there. The Diamondbacks historically have asked young pitchers, young starting pitchers, to start in the bullpen and earn their way to the rotation. That's just something that has happened before. And it's not just this regime. I mean, Archie Bradley had to do it. Other guys have had to do it as well. Um Dre Jameson, we always expected to end up in the rotation at some point. Unfortunately, it's happening now because Zach Davies got injured. Not the way that you want it to happen. You would have rather he just continue to kick butt in the bullpen, and eventually he gives you no choice but to make him a starter. Right. Um, but we are going to finally see what Dre Jameson has uh, as a starter. Ryan Nelson, solid guy. Uh, his ERA is hovering around five in his first two starts, but he's got the most innings pitched on this entire team. And at a time when Zach Gallen and Madison Bumgarner's ERAs are hovering in the sevens, Merrill Kelly clearly didn't get the ramp up that he wanted uh, because of the WBC, so he's last in the rotation in innings pitched. It's early. It's very early. It's early. Yeah. But we're now going to see two rookies instead of one in the rotation. How comfortable do you feel with that? Not uncomfortable. I mean, Dre Jameson, I mean... Pretty much in most circumstances, if there was a battle for the number five spot in a rotation, given you know everything he showed at the end of last season, what he showed in spring training, just from a stuff perspective, I mean, it's you know he probably wins in a lot of those competitions. He just happened to go up against another young rookie pitcher who has a lot to give, and because he was one of you know as Mike Hazen said, one of the thirteen best pitchers on the team, they put him in the bullpen, and he had a 
really big impact over the first 10 games in that role. You know, in their in their first win of the season, Merrill Kelly comes out of the game early, and he's the bridge to get them from, okay, he has to come in in the fourth inning. How can we get all the way to the eighth? And he did that perfectly with 66 pitches. He had a six-out save, which was sort of an interesting way to use him late in the game. And then he had that middle relief appearance after Madison Bumgarner uh, exited, I believe, in the fifth inning uh, in his most recent start. So he's been used in a lot of different ways, all of which were wins. And he was a big part of all of those wins. Now, it's it's gotten to the point where, you know, when Davies got hurt and it was pretty, you know, it, it did not look good when he was crouching behind them, like on the mound. And it's like, OK, we're going to have to see an IL start here because then it, it opens up the bag of worms. It's like, OK, is now the perfect time because he's not like, you know, he's still fairly ramped up. You know, he's, he's still fairly stretched out. Uh, Jameson, that is. And so it's not like he's been in this in role there. for three months. Exactly. Yeah. And that was that's what Tori Lavello's argument was, is that, you know, we, we, he felt like they were starting to get to a point where it's like if we waited longer, then we'd have to sort of stretch him back out again. Right now, he's already there. And so they could just put him into the rotation. That makes sense. And when they brought up Peter Solomon, that it felt like, oh, OK, they brought up a long reliever. This feels like the role that's going to be given. There was other options in, you know, a nice thing about this team's roster is that there were other options. They could have just brought up Tommy Henry and kept Jay Jamison where he was. Dre was pitching very, very well in that role. He was vital to what the bullpen had been over the first 10 games of the season. And if they felt, you know, it was a little bit too much um, to, like, take him away just based on what they've produced in the first 10 games, they could have brought up Peter Solomon for a couple of days, sent him back down, and then brought up Tommy Henry, who had would have gotten five days of rest by the time that Zach Davies' next start comes up. They could have, you know, pulled the trigger on Brandon Fott, theoretically. They would have had to make another roster move, but, you know, that was an option on the table. So they, so they had some decent options, and Tori Lovello, after Davies' injury, said there was like a public forum in his office, basically throwing stuff at the wall. And I, mean, I don't know how long they were in there till, but they land Andre Jameson, and I think it's going to be exciting for Diamondbacks fans and for the D-backs, because this is a guy who they said, I mean, Lovello said that he is not, this is not an Archie Bradley situation where, you know, he's going to be in the bullpen and he's going to just stay in the bullpen for the rest of his... No, they he came in this season with the idea of starting. They saw him as a starter and they still do. And so now it's the idea of, okay, if he's going to start and now we'll see what happens when Davies comes back. I think it'll depend performance-based and then also who else stays healthy because long season, pitchers are going to get hurt. Yeah, and you have to be conscious too of what message you're sending to your young pitcher when mm-hmm. right out of spring training, a lot of us thought that Dre Jamison deserved that fifth spot over Ryan Nelson. It was close. It was very close. It wasn't a runaway or anything like that. Um, but then when you stash him in the bullpen and say, like, all right, let's 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 work up to it. Let's earn it. And by all intents and purposes, he did earn it over the last... Uh, it's only three appearances, roughly, but it, it's still, like, he's been their best relief pitcher He's earned that opportunity to be the next in line. So if you passed him over for a guy like Tommy Henry or if Brandon Fott had made his debut, uh, that sends a bad message mm-hmm. to Dre, in my opinion. So I'm glad that they chose him for this. I'm glad that they, quote unquote, promoted him and gave him this opportunity. I, I don't know where it leaves the bullpen. Uh, I don't know who fulfills that role that he was he was filling. He was kind of, I thought, asked to fill the role that Corbin Martin probably would have filled. Yeah. Uh, had he made the team out of spring training, we'll never know. Um, he's just was kind of like eternally would've. injured. It, was it looking feels like, like. would have, yeah, yeah. And so now that Dre gets promoted to the 
to the uh, rotation. And again, it could be a two-week thing. Uh, Davies could be back after his 15-day IL stint. Uh, it could be longer. So this could be short-term, but... I don't know what that leaves you with in the bullpen. Kevin Ginkle hasn't been too good. Carlos Vargas is still very raw. Uh, I obviously love Andrew Chafe, and I think he's probably their best reliever. Miguel Castro has been decent. The back end's been good. Yeah, Chafin, the back end's Castro, been pretty good. I mean, the, the back end has been very good. But Scott McGuff right. got roughed up. Yeah, tough, tough go at it at Petco. He had he had a good first inning um, when he pitched against the Dodgers this weekend, and then just gave up a home run in the second inning. But um, Still a guy who I think they're going to have to rely on late in games. It's oh, like, for sure. You know, those three that, that we mentioned, Castro, Chafin, McGuff, those are the three guys who are going to have to be big for them at the back end of the rotation to close out games. As far as guys who are going to be the bridge, now you're looking at, you know, someone like Peter Solomon who has started games. It's going to, he's, he's, a, he's been a starting pitcher and a reliever in his career. And so he's going to have to come in and pitch multiple innings. He got his taste uh, on Sunday, wasn't sharp, but that's, you know, that's what they're relying on at this point. Yeah, Luis Frias also up. Uh, Cole Solcer moves to the 60-day IL. That's not a good sign. Uh, Kyle Nelson, a guy that I still like. I thought mm-hmm. didn't, he didn't make the team out of spring, did he? No, he he made the team after Joe Maniply went on the IL. And, right. and Maniply is going to be huge for them when he gets back, and it seems like he's getting closer. Okay. Um, over the weekend, he pitched a sim game at Salt River Fields. So, and from all you know, communications, it, it seems like he, that went well. So. A rehab stunt and then a return seems to be like it's going to happen sooner rather than later. So that'll be a huge boost for that. Zach Gallen, 10 and two-thirds innings, nine earned runs, 10 runs total. Mm-hmm. Uh, at what point do you start to be a little bit concerned for Zach Gallen, your ace? Not yet. It's been two starts. Um, I, th- I think Mike Hazen went on the air last week after Gallen's second start, and he kind of laughed off the idea of being concerned about Gallen at this point. Um, starting pitching ERA is, is up. I mean, it, it, this has been an adjustment period pretty much across the entire league. Uh, and it's, it's you know, starting pitcher ERA, it's, it's not up insignificantly either. So, um, like, uh, pulling this up here, like, really quickly. Um, so, last season, starting ERA was... Great podcasting. Um, 4.05 um, throughout the season. A walk rate of 2.8. I mean, it's and then you go into this season, and it's up by, I think, more than half a point. Um, yeah, up to 4.68 and a walk rate of 3.47. So this is a league-wide thing. Teams are scoring more runs. T- pitchers are walking more hitters. I just feel like having to speed up your process and speed up your tempo is something that's going to take a few starts to get there. And Zach Allen is somebody who likes to kind of control what's around him at least over the past few seasons that's been the case. And I don't know, given just his track record as far as him being able to work on himself and improve, I feel like there's not a whole lot to worry about as far as him adjusting to this situation. But you're right, he's made a couple of mistakes. I mean, his first start against the Dodgers, it was mostly putting guys on and putting himself in a bad position with some walks. Last start against the Padres, he just made a couple of mistakes over the middle of the plate and the Padres sent it out. I mean, that, that pitch to Nelson Cruz stands out to me. Well, um, after he came in for Manny Machado. So I'm I'm not concerned as of yet. I, I think he'll work into it. I know it's, you know, the starting pitch, the starting rotation at the beginning of last season, how it got started was so good compared to what we've seen this year. It's been sort of an up and down situation for a lot of their guys. I'm not concerned about Gallon. He's, he, I still think he's, at the end of the day, one of the best pitchers in the National League and in the entire league. So he'll be fine. 
Uh, to elaborate more on the brutal schedule that they've had so far, eight mm-hmm. games in their first 10 were against the Dodgers, uh, yep. but they did very well against them. And they won't have to see them for a while. They don't play them again till August 8th, I think I read? Yep. August? Yeah. Holy cow. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, Milwaukee comes to town to finish out the homestand. Three games there. You're going to get Wade Miley. Uh, welcome back, Wade Miley. You're going to get Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. That's a pretty tough series right there. Uh, then you hit the road, you get Miami. I don't know exactly who they're going to be facing, but I think we're going to get a Gallon at versus Sandy game, and that's going to be crazy. Um, St. Louis. Trademates. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Were they both? The Marcelo Zuna trade. They were in the, They were both traded from St. Louis to, to Miami, to Miami together. Zuna, yeah. 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 Wow. Isn't that crazy? Uh, I'll bet that... Uh, St. Louis regrets that one. St. Louis, by the way, would be the next team on the Diamondbacks schedule, and I think you're probably likely going to get Flaherty and Montgomery in that series. Um, And then eventually you do go back home and you get San Diego. This We talked about this briefly last week, but the the schedule lightens up immensely at the end of April, early May. You're going to get Kansas City, Colorado. Texas is okay. Washington, Miami again, San Francisco, the A's, the Pirates, and then eventually the Phillies. Can't get not until May twenty right second. <laughs> do you get another team that I'm at least moderately concerned about? So there's a really good opportunity in late April, early May for the Diamondbacks to rattle off some series and get some wins in the bank, so to speak, before you do face some of your tough opponents in the division later on in the year. Absolutely, not the time to to get stagnant. I mean, no. it's going to be about staying consistent. And it, there's some high intensity games early on. I mean, playing the Dodgers this many times. So early and to show to see sort of the effort and the energy and just sort of the adjustments that they made offensively. I mean, it was great to see, but now they got to keep it going against teams that aren't your division rival who have gotten the better of you of the last few seasons. I mean, the Brewers, that's a great test again with two of the best right handed pitchers in the entire league coming into Chase Field. And then, as you mentioned, you know, if they see Sandy Alcantara. Again, a gigantic Ooh. test. So <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, this offense and just how it looks. I mean, we're, we're going to get a really good picture over the next, you know, three, four series because it's looked great over the past five, six games, or at least in like five of the past six games. That's still a tiny, tiny sample size as far as what they're going to look like. And as exciting as this past series was, now it's like, okay, is this sort of a sustainable platform for you guys to score runs? And against some of the best pitchers in baseball that, you know, you may not take deep. That's going to be, a, you know, a huge test. And so it's going to be fun to see exactly what kind of output that they'll have over these next couple of weeks. Because you're right. Once they get to sort of like that sweet spot with Syria, when the series get easier and they match up more favorably against certain teams, you know, they could make some real noise as far as like being, we, we, we joke, you know, oh, they're on top of the division right now. You know, they're, they're tied with the Padres for first in the division. It's been 10 games. But if they're right there and it's been 30 games. Mid-May. You know, that's not nothing. It's it's still way too early to to determine like what they'll be at the end of the season. But that's not nothing. It's a, it would be a great start and they're set up well because this past series was so good. But it is only one series again, so keep that in mind. Still dealing with small sample sizes. Uh, I'll hit you with one kind of off-the-wall story that I saw over the weekend. The Arizona Diamondbacks and Chase Field announced that they are going to start selling alcohol into the bottom of the eighth inning. <laughs> I guess traditionally, I most teams stop selling in the seventh inning stretch, I think. Yeah. In the seventh. So it doesn't seem like much, but uh, you always hear that teams don't sell alcohol late in the game for, obviously, they don't want people buying a beer and then getting in the car. Yeah. 
Um, but I do find that at least a little bit intriguing that they're going to extend sales into the eighth inning. Is this just a, I don't know what this is. Is this a money grab? I don't, I don't really know why. I don't understand the reasoning. Maybe they feel like with a better team that people will stay in their, like at the ballpark for longer. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, we might as well cash out or or maybe it'll help, uh, it'll help pay for the the Chase Field renovations if they do end up staying put. Oh, there it is. I was going to say maybe the opposite argument about the team maybe if the team uh struggles at times then you have to give them another reason to stay in the ballpark and that reason is hey we got alcohol until the bottom of the eighth don't go anywhere we got alcohol um but i did always kind of find that interesting that for basically like a third of the game you weren't allowed to buy alcohol i understood the concept and i i I actually agree with it but i always thought that was an interesting aspect about baseball so hey Go check out the D-backs. Uh, they got three more games left in the homestand, and uh, you can grab a beer until the eighth inning. I don't know if this starts now or take the light rail. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, take the light rail and uh, and do yourself a favor. All right, we're going to wrap up the podcast. Uh, thanks so much to Alex Weiner for joining me, Steve Zinsmeister here on the Ain't No Fang podcast, which you can find here at ArizonaSports.com and on the Arizona Sports app.